Go with me to James chapter 5, would you? James chapter 5. We've been studying together through this epistle, this letter from James. We are in chapter 5. And as you turn there, I ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you've been mistreated, falsely accused, or harmed in some other way because you are a follower of Christ? Maybe you believe you've been spoken poorly of or misjudged unfairly and for being a Christian. How are believers to respond when this happens? How are followers of Christ to respond when they feel like they've been persecuted, misjudged, mischaracterized, misrepresented? Here in James 5, James has just finished declaring in the first six verses that God's judgment will come on the ungodly, unrighteous rich. And this was a warning to believers not to be caught up in the pursuit of wealth. One of the things that we've talked about the last couple of Sunday evenings as we've come back together to think more carefully about this is that, that, that God's word does not condemn wealth, but it condemns the pursuit of wealth to the exclusion of, of obedience to God and, and making that your single passion in life. God is concerned with what we think about our finances, what we think about our wealth, and how, and how many of us, if we are honest with ourselves, we realize we are all very wealthy. God has blessed us all with what we need, if not more than what we need, right? And so James comes and begins chapter 5, and he makes this declaration, these statements that sound like statements from the Old Testament even, that declare that God's judgment is going to come on the ungodly, unrighteous rich who live their lives for the pursuit of wealth. And it's a warning to believers, do not pursue wealth. Do not pursue financial gain. You you may have it by God's blessing, but you are always to use it for God's glory and with the wisdom that God gives from his word. And you are not to get caught up as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have the highest calling on earth to be obedient to God and his word. You are not to be distracted by the pursuit of financial gain. And now as we come to verse 7, James moves from warning the ungodly rich to encouraging believers with how they're to respond when they're mistreated. And this is actually a continuation of thought from what we had seen in verse 6. What James says there, it was there James had pointed to the fact that one of the sins the ungodly rich were guilty of, because they were so caught up in the pursuit of wealth, they began to justify murder. They began to justify speaking against believers, against followers of Christ, against the righteous man, and even accusing them falsely and even hauling them off, and eventually it would lead to murder of the righteous man. They were accusing believers falsely, and as a result, it even had them murdered. And and these innocent believers, as we see at the end of verse 6, these innocent believers had refused to defend themselves. James writes in verse 6, go back up and look at it with me here in verse 6 of James 5, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And now we pick up at verse 7 this morning. 
And this section actually extends to verse 11, but we're only going to look at verses 7 through 9 this morning. With this question for us, how is the believer to respond when mistreated? How's the believer to respond? Look at verses 7 through 9 with me this morning. The question for us here, what does James tell us about how believers should respond when we're facing mistreatment? when suffering for being followers of Christ? How are God's children to respond when wronged, slandered, harmed, falsely accused for doing wrong, or even persecuted for being believers of God's word and obeyers of God's word? Verse 7, be patient. Be patient, says James, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it? until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So how should you respond when unbelievers bring harm to you, unjustly oppress you or take advantage of you. James says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James writes this. This is God speaking to us through what James writes. Be patient. Twice here, in fact, James encourages believers, be patient. He also gives illustrations of patience, doesn't he? Why? Because, you see the farmer here, why does he give these illustrations and why does he have to repeat himself? Be patient. Because this is not easy, is it? Like so much of the Christian life, it doesn't come naturally. It comes by diligent effort as we take steps of obedience to God's word as followers of Christ, empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit in us with the wisdom of God's word. We learn and we grow and we make progress, but this doesn't happen overnight, does it? Patience is so difficult. James knows that believers need to cultivate this God-honoring response of patience in the face of mistreatment. Now, why is it naturally hard for us to be patient when mistreated? Well, because when you're wronged, what do you want? (laughs) You want justice, right? Or maybe you want to get even. You did that to me, look at what I'm going to do to you. This is kind of our natural response, isn't it? You want the person who wronged you to be held accountable. You want justice. You may even find yourself wishing you could get even, but James says, do not do it. As a follower of Christ, you have a higher calling. You have a a higher hope. You have the certainty to live for. Do not respond impetuously and with anger. He says, be patient. But note that he's not suggesting that followers of Christ are to simply resign themselves to accepting whatever mistreatment is delivered to them, what he's commending here is self-restraint. When the natural response is to lash out, what the believer needs to practice, and sometimes it's going to take practice, what the believer needs to practice is self-restraint. D. Edmund Hebert suggests that the word used in the original language meant long-tempered, as contrasted to, he says, short-tempered. It does not call for a passive resignation to one's fate, but an attitude of self-restraint that enables one to refrain from hasty retaliation in the face of provocation. And that is, I think, 
what James is telling us here. I think that's what James has in mind. Not not rolling over, playing dead, so to speak, being a doormat at any sign of trouble that might come, but with God's help, with God's strength at work in us, exercising self-restraint. In fact, being short-tempered, God's Word talks about this and warns us about this. God's Word many times challenges us about being short-tempered. Being short-tempered is what Proverbs 15, 18 is warning us about when it says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. And we know this to be true, don't we? Some of us are those hot-tempered men, right? A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. You see, as God's people, we're to be the people in the latter half of that verse, right? The ones who are who are slow to anger and help bring quietness where there is turmoil. The Bible Knowledge Commentary notes that the idea here in James 5.7 is to, quote, set the timer of one's temper for a long run. Think long. Focus on the final lap in the race of life. Have a long fuse. And we could even go back to what James writes in chapter 1 for help with this. In fact, where he says, In verses 3 and 4, James 1, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or long fuse. (laughs) Verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I hear in a passage like that that God blesses the obedient Faithful, patient believer. Put your faith in God. Be patient. Like the commentary notes, have a long fuse. Don't go off suddenly at the sign of persecution. Be very patient. So instead of lashing out in response to mistreatment as God's child, the believer is to learn to be patient when wronged. And we've already seen an example of this in verse 6. I read it earlier. James says there that the ungodly rich were guilty of, of murdering the righteous person. And he says the righteous person does not resist you. In other words, he is patient. You see, the God-honoring, obedient believer has learned to be patient with the faults of others. I mean, just think of it. Who do we know who's patient with us? If you're a follower of Christ, you know God is patient with you. Maybe when no one else is. God is patient. God is patient with the faults of believers. He is even patient with the faults and sins of unbelievers, witnessed by the fact that he has not yet returned. Right? And God is patient. He longs for people to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true, isn't it? God is gracious. God is patient with us. God's patience is clear by his mercy shown in the sacrifice of his son to be sent to earth, the sinless son of God, to live on this earth and not commit a sin and yet suffer on the cross, not for his sins, but for my sins and for your sins. How gracious and patient God is. God provides a way of salvation to all who will believe in his son. Praise God. And God continues 
to show his patience to those who have not trusted in him because his word warns them again and again and again of the consequences of sin. And the fact that if they will repent of sin and turn and believe in Christ, the the consequences of sins are placed on Christ and taken from them. And the fact that God doesn't swiftly punish all those who rebel against him and blaspheme him proves even more his mercy and his patience. So God's people have been shown great mercy, have they not? As God's children, do you realize you've been shown great mercy and patience by God, right? And looking to the Lord, followers of Christ are to show others the same kind of long, future-looking, what will God do? How will God use my patience in the face of persecution? How will God use my patience? Maybe to win my persecutor to Christ. That's long-looking patience. But how, James... Sounds easy, James. How do you say you make it sound easy? How? How could I possibly be patient when I'm being wrongfully treated, when I'm suffering for something that I didn't do? Or I'm, it's not true about me what they're saying. How do I, how do I learn this? Note that James says here that the believer is to be patient. Verse seven, look at verse seven again. Until the coming of the Lord. And the point here is that the believer has the Lord's return to look forward to. The Lord will be the ultimate judge one day. We have the believer, as as believers, we have the Lord's return to look forward to. We anticipate that. I remember many years ago when our eldest was just a a toddler, one, one and a half or so, and we worked at a Christian camp in southern Ohio, and I had a pickup truck, and we lived down a long lane that was part of the camp property. And at the end of the day of working, I would drive down the lane, and my my eldest son, our firstborn, would hear the truck coming. had a loud muffler, and you could hear it coming, and he would run to the front door and stand there and look out the front door and kind of jumping up and down when he saw the truck because he knew I was in it. He was anticipating my return. He'd hear it. He's like, Dad's coming. He'd run to the front door and wait. The believer's hope, the believer's confidence is in the fact that Jesus Christ will return. That is the believer's joy. We have have all the hope in the world. We ought to be the most joyful people on earth because of that. He saves sinners and he's returning for us one day. And whatever we face, we can handle as followers of Christ because he's coming back. And along with that, the implication is that he is going to set all things right. You realize that? He is the ultimate judge. And for those who refuse to repent and turn to Christ in faith, God must judge and will. So the point here is the believer has the Lord's return to look forward to with great confidence and to take great comfort in because the Lord will return one day and he will be the ultimate judge of all. We ought not rejoice in the fact that he will be the ultimate judge. Do you understand that? It is true. But that truth ought to compel us to go to those who need Christ and tell them of Jesus and to be patient with them when they wrong us so that they can see Christ working in us. And though we do not know the timing of the Lord's return, we know it is certain. As Romans 8.25 says, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with 
patience. And that is how we grow in patience as we face persecution, mistreatment for being followers of Christ. We say, but I have a heavenly certainty, a heavenly hope. The Lord's returning. Yes, he's going to judge. He's going to set all things right. I don't need to set all things right myself. I'm leaving it in the Lord's hands. I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to be patient. So we wait patiently for the Lord's return, even in the face of mistreatment, and we do not lose hope. And as we do, we learn to respond to mistreatment with patience instead of anger. And we know we're encouraged in Galatians 6.9, we are to not grow weary in doing good, right? As followers of Christ, we are not to grow weary in doing good. Why? Because in due season, we will reap if we do not give up, right? There is this certainty also that God is growing a harvest of of reward for those who are faithful and obedient. And we will reap if we do not give up. We have our heavenly home, our eternal destination with Lord Jesus Christ to look forward to. We have that, that eternity of rejoicing with the Lord Jesus Christ to look forward to. We have that heavenly home, and that in, in, in empowers us now, doesn't it? It enables us now to live with patience. And that patient waiting for the Lord, responding with patience to those who wrongfully treat believers, is a sowing of what is good, it is a sowing of what is right. It honors God when we are patient. And God brings fruitful increase into the life of the believer. God brings joy. God brings contentment. God brings peace, satisfaction, even in the midst of turmoil for the one whose faith is patiently waiting on the goodness of God and his certain return. And that sowing of what is God glorifying, that waiting patiently is what James illustrates here as he points to the patient farmer. Look at verse 7 again. See, see, he says in verse 7, how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient being patient about it, the farmer is. Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So the believer, whose hope is firmly fixed on the Lord, is to be like the farmer who works the soil. How does the farmer work the soil? He takes either from his storehouse or because he has purchased it, he takes grain, he prepares the soil, he puts grain in the soil, right, and he covers it up and he waits. He takes a risk that his investment may not produce a crop, and he trusts God. God, bring rain, early rain, middle rain, late rain, all of it. You know, water that crop, Lord. (laughs) The believer is to be like the faithful farmer, the obedient farmer who says, if I don't sow the seed, I get no crop, I get no harvest. If I don't trust God to provide rain, I'm living without hope. The farmer is patient. The farmer waits for the Lord's provision. The believer must also wait for the Lord's provision. At times it's going to seem like God is not quick enough for you. (laughs) But God's timing is not ours, is it? Waiting on the Lord's return. Waiting on the Lord's justice. But even in the midst of the waiting, God is good to provide what we need if we really pay attention. There's joy, there's peace, and there's contentment that's ours if we trust in the Lord and we wait patiently for him. And you can learn to be patient, says James, like the farmer is patient because the Lord is returning. He is coming back. And so he says it again here in verse 8, like the farmer, you also be patient. But then he adds something. 
And this is something we should add to our patience. In fact, this will actually help us learn to be patient. James says, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. In other words, grow your inner life of faith. This is a long-looking patience, waiting on the Lord's return, and waiting on the justice that God will bring. But there's also an active aspect to this waiting. It is establishing your hearts. This waiting on the Lord's return, this waiting on the Lord's justice, there's an active dependence going on here. We depend on God, but we don't sit on our hands. We take steps of obedience to establish our hearts. Patience doesn't mean we do nothing. Do you understand that? God's word doesn't say do nothing in the face of opposition. What James tells us here, that we establish our hearts. Patience for the believer means an act of obedient trust in the Lord and in his perfect timing. And we grow and we mature in this as believers by actively establishing our hearts. Now, how does the believer establish his heart? We're not talking about taking up jogging, taking up running to strengthen your heart. No, we're talking about spiritual strength here. How does the believer establish or strengthen his or her heart? How does the believer gain What we're talking about is spiritual strength. How does the believer gain spiritual strength in what could be very difficult days facing persecution? You establish your heart, you gain spiritual strength only by taking advantage of the means by which God has made this possible. So, okay, how has God made it possible? By his word, by reading and meditating on God's word, and... By obeying God's word? God has made this possible for believers who read and and think carefully about God's word and, and how it's speaking to their hearts and then take steps of obedience and then also by prayer. And, and let me mention worship. We ought not neglect it. Worship of God. He is holy. He is worthy of our worship. Our worship reminds us of where our eyes ought to be as we go out and work in the week ahead or as we enjoy a holiday tomorrow, right? Where should our eyes be? Can we not enjoy ourselves? Absolutely, we can, but we enjoy ourselves for God's glory so that others might see Christ at work in us. We keep our eyes fixed on Christ, and we establish our hearts by being people of the word obedient people of the word, people who pray, people who worship God, and then people who actually come together with other people of God to be encouraged and strengthened and even held accountable so that we're stronger together than we are by ourselves. And we then, then we go our separate ways like we're going to do here in a few moments and we leave here to go into the week ahead to live for Christ. That's how we establish our hearts as believers. That's how we grow spiritually. God has given us means by which we grow. And if we neglect them, we stunt our own spiritual growth and we risk failing to be patient and we risk dishonoring God if we are. And every believer needs this balance. We need the word. We need obedience. We need prayer. We need worship. We need fellowship. And and we need that with other believers Otherwise, we will not be established in our hearts. We will not be growing spiritually, and we will not be spiritually equipped to be patient 
and wait for the Lord and his perfect timing, we will get antsy and we will get impatient and we will start making mistakes. (laughs) And very often our choices can be a displeasure to the Lord when we dishonor his name, when we take things into our own hands and we distrust what God is doing and we try to use our own human wisdom, which falls short of God's wisdom when we neglect it. We cannot expect God's help and God's blessing if we aren't willing to take advantage of the very means which he uses to grow spiritual health and strength in the life of his children, the very means that God uses to establish our hearts as we wait with patience, even in the face of persecution and opposition. If we give this up, if we fail to take advantage of the means by which God has given us to grow and and establish our hearts, We'd be like the farmer who, who goes out and purchases a pile of grain but refuses to put it in the ground. You would say, you're foolish, <laughs> right? That's not too smart. Or like I tell my kids when they waste things, I say, that's like flushing money down the, down the toilet, right? You ever tell your kids that? <clears throat> don't do that, right? You would tell the farmer, don't do that. That's wasteful. That's foolish. And yet God has given us grain. He's given us piles of grain in his word. He's given us the opportunity to worship the perfect God of the universe, the one mighty true God of the universe who created all things and established for us in his word the right way of living. And when we neglect what he's given us in his word, we like leave the grain in a big pile off to the side. We don't put it in the soil. We don't tend to it with faith, with obedience, through prayer, through fellowship, through worship. So says James, repeating this idea, be patient here in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He then challenges believers, establish your hearts. Why? Look at it, verse 8. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Wait a minute, didn't he just say that? Yes, he did. (laughs) The Lord is going to return. We need that reminder, don't we? Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And this truth, the Lord's return, is the believer's confidence. So this is important for us to remember. It's so important that God's word repeatedly points to this truth. You want to know how many times God's word points to this truth that the Lord will return? Author and pastor Kent Hughes points out, the New Testament, he says, contains over 300 references to Christ's return, one of every 13 verses. Incredible. Do you think the Lord wants to get this established in our hearts so that we might live with faith and patience when persecuted? Absolutely. Do not lose sight of this fact. The Lord will return. So God wants believers to be confident of this truth to take this to heart, the Lord will return. So we learn patience by growing our faith, by establishing our hearts. And when I'm being mistreated or taken advantage of as a follower of Christ, it's hard to have faith. You know what I mean? Can you identify? It's hard to have faith when you're being mistreated, isn't it? So we equip ourselves before we face the trial. Hear this. Prepare yourself to properly respond when mistreated as a child of God by growing your faith now, preparing 
for persecution that will come. Because if you are an obedient follower of Jesus Christ and you obey God's word, you will face opposition. You will face persecution. God's word tells us we will. Be ready for it with great joy and with great hope because the Lord will return and he will set all things right and take great heart that God has promised the Lord is coming and he will set all wrongs right. So this is how God's word, in the words of this letter from James, instructs believers that they are to respond when wrongfully treated. Be patient, establish your hearts. Be patient and establish your hearts. And then thirdly, James says, don't grumble against others. Oh, great. Why'd you have to put that there, James? That's one of my favorite things to do. Because my problems are not my fault. They're your fault. They're everybody else's fault, right? Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. He's talking to believers here. Now, what in the world could he possibly be talking about? I mean, I thought we were talking about persecution, mistreatment from unbelievers. And when, and when he says in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, he's talking to believers. What James is challenging here is our tendency when suffering for wrongs committed toward us to lash out at those around us. Ever catch yourself doing that? You have a bad day at work, and you know better than to say anything to your boss that would be worthy of punishment, retribution, right? You say, I'll take it home. Well, you don't really say that, but you do. And you get out of the car, and you kick the trash can, and you know you say something mean to your wife or whatever. You take it out on things and people near you, don't you? And James knows by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this is the believer's tendency also to to lash out at those nearest and dearest when being persecuted, when being mistreated, treated unjustly, falsely accused. So first of all, if you're being wrongfully treated as a follower of Christ, be very careful, says James, that you don't allow yourself to lash out at those nearest you and dearest to you. Don't grumble against others around you just because someone else is mistreating you. Be very careful. Guard your heart. He goes back, basically. You go back to number one. Be patient. And this could even turn into blaming others around us when we're being mistreated, right? It's not my fault. It has to be someone else's fault. It's got to be your fault if I'm suffering. And we tend to lash out. So as James says, be patient. Why? Because God is in control. And as followers of Christ, we must cling to that truth, that certainty that God is in control. If we lose sight of that, we risk taking it out on others. Losing hope. Losing our patience. Trust the Lord and fight the urge to lash out at those closest to you. But, you say, what if another believer lashes out at me and they're not listening today? What if another believer is not listening to you and they go ahead and they lash out at me and they accuse me of it being my fault that they're being persecuted by an unbeliever? You know what I'm going to say, right? Be patient. Be patient. That's what James is saying. Be patient. If another believer lashes out at you, believer... Because they are suffering mistreatment? Well, as James tells us here, we too need to be patient with them. 
mean, this is how God's church properly functions. Be patient with one another. Consider how God is patient with you, right? As James tells us here, we too need to be patient with one another, but we know it's not always easy to get along, is it? It's not always easy to get along. It's difficult. It's a challenge. As has been said, to walk in love with saints above, well, that will be a wondrous glory. To walk below with saints we know, well, that's a different story, right? (laughs) It's hard to get along with the people we know best. Why? Because we know we know their inconsistencies. We know their faults. And so we begin, when we suffer mistreatment, we begin to look for the faults of others and poke and pull. But believers are never to forget. James reminds believers here again that our hope is to be in the Lord and his soon return. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, he says in verse 9, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know what that tells me? That God is going to hold believers accountable for how they treat one another. Do you want God's blessing now? Do you want the joy and peace and contentment and hope that God promises when you walk in obedience to him, you will have it if you honor him in this way. But God cannot bless your life if you refuse to honor him and you grumble against others and you turn from him with your faith. You take your faith with you and you say, I can't trust God. I'm going to pick on others. I'm going to choose to accuse them. I'm going to take my anger out on those nearest me because I'm angry at so-and-so. Don't blame others. When you're mistreated, choose instead to encourage others. You know, there's great joy in that. And that is by God's design. When we walk in obedience to God's word, God gives us great joy, great contentment. But I can tell you, and I think you can tell me, that there is misery in disobedience. Right? There is misery in disobedience. Disobey God and you will not be happy. You may be able to put on the varnish of happiness by buying things or doing things that that seem to make you happy for a time. But you cannot be happy disobeying God. We will not have God's blessings. We will not have his joy, his strength, his peace if we refuse to get along with one another. And and more and more, this is true, if we're, we're going to face persecution as believers in this world, and we are, and we're seeing it, we know we will. We need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to strengthen ourselves. Why? Because there's a lost world around us who needs Christ. And they need to see that Jesus Christ actually changes you and me. So as we hear elsewhere in God's word in Psalm 37, we must learn... Psalm 37 says in verses 7 through 9, we must learn to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Do you realize that's exactly the same, essentially the same truth that James is telling us? God's word is so good, isn't it? We take it to heart. 
we believe it and we obey it? How are believers to respond when they're wrongfully treated as those who trust in Christ? Well, with their faith firmly fixed on God and on the certainty of the Lord's soon return, and with that promise fixed in our hearts, we can learn to respond by being patient, by establishing ourselves, by by growing spiritually, and by not grumbling against others, by choosing not to grumble against our brothers and sisters in Christ, being obedient to God's word as we wait on the Lord and serve him is what we need. Take God's word up for yourself. Let God's word instruct your heart and help you learn to be patient in the face of persecution, in the face of mistreatment and opposition for being a follower of Christ. And you will be a shining example of of Christ-likeness in this world that a dying world needs to see desperately. We live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We live for God's glory. We live to make him known. And a part of that is great joy and great contentment as we honor God with our obedience. May it be so of every believer in this place. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, how good and gracious you are to give us your word, to instruct our living, to instruct our lives, to to help us, to strengthen us, to enable us to, to learn to be patient as we keep our hope firmly fixed on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know he accomplishes what, what we could never. By his shed blood, he has redeemed a people for his own, that all who trust in Christ would be washed, washed free of the consequences of sin, the guilt and shame of sin, because Jesus Christ takes the punishment for that, that, that punishment that he does not deserve. And then with the power of Christ, as we live in obedience to your word, and just as your word instructs us, we need to be ready to face those who would oppose your goodness, who would oppose the truth of the gospel, who would oppose those who believe in the truth of your word, who would oppose those who obey the truth of your word. And we are to take up our our strength in the Lord, resting in the certainty that the Lord Jesus Christ will one day return. And yet, sobered by the truth that with that return not only comes our future home, our eternal destiny with the Lord Jesus Christ, but also coming with that is judgment for those who refuse to trust in him. And so, God, I pray that that your people today would be burdened Help us, each one, to be burdened for those around us who need Christ. And help us to learn to, to, with the strength of the word and the spirit, to be patient with those who mistreat us for being followers of Christ, that they might more clearly see Jesus Christ and believe in him themselves. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.